If everyone will make their way to their seats, we will go ahead and uh, begin our time together this morning. We are missing, I know, at least about 10 or 15 that left about an hour ago to head to the junior session of Lariat Creek Christian Camp. And so we want to ask you to pray for those junior high kids. Some of them, it's their first time uh, away from home. And so at least for like four hours, they're going to be homesick. And then it'll get a whole lot better. Uh, It's going to be a great week for them. So please remember them in your prayers this week. Um, tonight we have uh, an all-church singing night, so we won't have any of our other uh, classes, but we will be here in the auditorium. There's a, a section in your bulletin that you'll notice talking about the Praise and Harmony Workshop that's coming up uh, in middle of August, August 18th through the 20th. There's a code there if you want to go ahead and get access to some of those resources. But we're going to begin to start singing some songs that we are trying to learn. Uh, not only is that weekend going to be a learning weekend, but it's going to be a how can we improve our worship kind of weekend. And so tonight, uh, Kelly Ross is going to be leading us through that. And we're going to be in the, the two center sections here. So when you come in, we'll be here in our, our main auditorium uh, and just sit here in these two center sections, 5 o'clock. And we're going to start learning some of that new worship music and, and um, going through that together. Uh, Next week is uh, the third Sunday, which means small groups, so just kind of putting that uh, in your heads. As we begin our time this morning, you'll see on the seat back in front of you attendance cards, uh, the white cards that are in front of you. And uh, if you haven't already, there's a spot on one side for members, a spot on the other side for visitors, and towards the middle of our our time this morning, some young men will be down the aisles to pick those up just so that we can have uh, a record uh, of your attendance here today. We don't get to make announcements like this often. We are a culture of hoarders, uh, if you're not aware. And um, you'll see a a blank in your bullets. And our our Family Life Center is about to undergo a pretty good uh, renovation. Our kitchen is going to be uh, brought up to kind of the speed it needed to be. They've been working on the parlor for quite some time. There's going to be some storage areas created there. But part of that kitchen renovation is uh, if you had stuff in that kitchen it's going to get thrown away. That's fun. We don't ever get to do that. It just has to live on a table forever. And so if you think you might possibly have anything over there, next or today, the 11th, uh, after worship, there are two tables over in the Family Life Center that have random things on them uh, that may or may not be yours. Uh, but if no one else wants it, you can have it. And if you don't want it and no one else wants it, the dumpster wants it. And so, and it's really close. It's just right out the door. So if you think you might have something over there, come get some of that stuff. And uh, then we're going to, just in a couple days, begin that renovation on Thursday. So the Family Life Center will be closed from June the 15th until August the 15th to uh, give adequate time for that that renovation. So uh, we know we're going to be left with a a really wonderful uh, facility that will be able to be used for a very long time. So as we begin our time together this morning, I want to ask you to stand with me, uh, and we will begin our time in prayer and then in song. Heavenly Father God, we are grateful for this opportunity to worship you this morning, together with, with other believers, to lift your name up in song, to be uh, called back to the foot of the cross with, in our time of communion. And to be encouraged through 
the God-breathed scripture that you have given to us. God, we are we need times like this. We, we often think we can just make it on our own, that we can function individually. But God, it is in, it is in our, our darkest moments where we are reminded of why you gave us the bride, why you gave us the church. And it is in our brightest moments where we get to be that encouragement to others as well. So God, we are thankful for all that, that West Irwin means to so many of us and for churches all over the world that fulfill that same calling in the lives of your people. God, we are thankful for this opportunity to be together today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy
Good morning. I just want to tag on a little bit to what Eric was saying about tonight. Uh, most everyone I know loves beautiful singing. But most people I know believe they're terrible singers. And so my encouragement for tonight is if you're a good singer, you come and you bellow it out. If you are a terrible singer, you come, you sit by one of those good singers, and you pretend you're in your car like everyone has done and turned the radio up and just bellowed it out by yourself in the car. That's what you pretend to do tonight. You, you just believe you're in the car by yourself, and you bellow it out, and you know what? It'll be beautiful singing all the way around. Let's pray. Father, we come today to honor and praise you for creating us and sending your son to save us. We thank you for your love and for granting us your un undeserved mercy and grace. Father, we acknowledge that all we are, all we have, and all we ever will be is because of you. Also, you give us hope of an eternal home, free from sorrow, pain, and suffering. We long for the love, joy, peace, and comfort that we will receive when we are with you. Help us, Father, to seek you, to continually walk in your light, helping those in need. Help each of us to encourage and support each other, doing what we can when we can. Give us opportunities to reach the lost and to show your love to those we meet. Father, we confess to you that we are weak and sinful people. We often fall to temptation and get our priorities mixed up. We ask that you would press into our hearts a desire to live a life that is worthy of the calling that you have given each of us. So many, Father, of our friends and family members are sick and hurting. And Father, we ask that you be with Jenny Price as she has cancer surgery Tuesday. Be with Ronnie Thornton, Eric's dad. We ask that you be with Jeff Ingram, Jeff Posey, uh, Jane Posey's son-in-law, and be also be with Jeff and Jane. Father, be with Susan Roden as she has knee replacement surgery. Be with Misty Ford, Brenda Fleet, Patsy Bullard, and Frederick Williams. Father, give each of them your healing, peace, and comfort. And give each one exactly what each of them need. Father, we thank you for all of our members here at West Irwin. Give us all a servant's heart so that in all we do, you will be honored and glorified now and forever. 
as we continue to worship clear thoughts of this world's affairs, open our hearts and minds to receive your teachings and lift our spirit to help us encourage each other. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before communion, we'll sing in Christ alone. <clears throat> in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my piece of cardboard says please speak into the bank so I hope all of you can hear me I want to tell you guys about this fellow that I met probably about 14 years ago I lived in Irving and uh, I had a gentleman that contacted me that lived up in Wood County and he was needing help with his health insurance so I called him on the phone got to talking and the guy had some health, uh, some health issues. And the main thing was he was paralyzed from the chest pretty much down. He couldn't use his left arm at all. He could use his right hand and forearm. He could maybe move it around like that. And that's what he used to operate his, uh, his wheelchair. But that's pretty much all he could do. Everything else that he needed to do, whether it was eat or drink or get in the car, whatever, he needed help. But I did have a way that I could uh, help him out. We've got a plan that uh, uh, he ended up purchasing. So I went to see him that one night, and it was cold outside. So I get up to his house, and it's a nice place. He's got three kids that absolutely just think the world of him very attractive wife and they had just gotten back from the grocery store and uh, I think it was Mineola or Hawkins, one of those places. So I did meet the guy, he was in a wheelchair, we get to talking and I just noticed that this guy is so optimistic about everything. And I can't remember his first name but I said, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm a farmer. A farmer? You're in a wheelchair. You're a farmer? I was expecting him to be sitting behind a computer with a little joystick or something like that, answering the phone or something like that. He said, no, I'm a farmer. That's all I've ever wanted to be. He raised dairy cattle, hay, and Christmas trees, and he made a good living at it. His wife was an attractive woman, and the guy just exuded optimism. 
And I, I, I commented on that. I said, you're so optimistic about everything. And his wife, who was putting up the groceries, she turns around and says, oh, this guy right here, he gets out of bed every day with a smile on his face, and he's ready to just take the world and kick it in the rear end. That's his attitude. Why do we complain so much these days? There's so much gloom and doom out there. Bill's going to touch on this here in a while in his lesson, but I'm not trying to, to steal his thunder. But we live in an age with electricity, air conditioning, indoor plumbing. Louis XIV didn't have indoor plumbing. Uh, I'm going to refer to my notes here. This came out on Fox this morning. It just pairs perfectly with what I'm trying to say. Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was an American writer and uh, philosopher, he noted that in the 1800s, nobody in London wore white shirts inside because the pollution would discolor the shirts. So they wore blue shirts or black shirts or I don't know what kind of shirts they wore, but they weren't white, according to this guy. One of my favorite presidents was Calvin Coolidge. He uh, was in office about 100 years ago, and his son, Calvin Coolidge Jr., went out one day to play tennis at the White House uh, tennis court. He developed a blister on his hand, a blister. Now, how many of us have developed a blister on our hand or our foot or somewhere else on our body, and it's no big deal? You know, we treat it, put some ointment on it, keep it clean. Three or four days later, you forget about it. One week after that young man developed that blister, and he was perfectly healthy beforehand, one week later, he was dead from sepsis. The infection just churned up his body. Uh, they called in the best doctors that they could find. He was admitted to the hospital, but they couldn't figure it out, and this poor young man was dead. Why do human beings complain so much? Well, that's the way we're wired. We don't have, we're faced with something we don't like, we complain about it. You know, you don't like the food, you don't like the decorating at the house, you don't like your car, whatever. And this goes back to ancient times. Remember the Hebrews, the Jews, after they were liberated from slavery in Egypt? They're out in the desert, and what are they doing before long? They're griping and complaining about the food. The food? Give me a break here. So we can always look back on the things that are so bad, but let's keep our mind on the things that are so good. The air conditioning, running water, the fact that you could buy a flat screen TV, a 42-incher, for less than $1,000 now, where back in the 90s, the mid-90s, it was several thousand. And there's always one good thing that everybody seems to overlook. They just ignore it. It's just a, an oversight. And it took place in the year A.D. 33. And that's when the Son of God went to the cross. He left heaven knowingly and intentionally. He, he wanted to come down here. Well, I'm not going to say he wanted to, but he did. He knew what he was getting into when he came down here to the earth. He knew he was going to suffer a horrible death. And why did he do that? He did that because he did not want Bill Paschal to be in heaven 
or to be in hell, rather, for his sins for all eternity. He came down here so that, insert your name, would not be in heaven for your sins. And that's the greatest thing that ever happened. At this time, every, every first day of the week, we gather together as Christians. There are gatherings all over the world. It could be just one person, one Christian on his own. It could be two. It could be five or ten. It could be several thousand. But there are gatherings like this all over the world. And the most important thing we do every week is we remember the suffering, death, and resurrection of our Savior, your Savior and mine, Jesus Christ. And if that doesn't make you optimistic, I just don't know what will. Having that said, my friends, let's pray together, shall we? Dear Father in heaven, we thank you as always for the blessings of the day. We're thankful to be alive. We're thankful to be here at West Irwin. We're thankful for our families, for the beauty of your handiwork which surrounds us. Uh, we thank you, Father, for uh, your son, Jesus Christ, and help us to remember that he went to the cross not for his sake but for ours. And as we partake of this loaf which represents his body, May we do so in a manner that you find acceptable and pleasing. And may we never forget what he endured so that we could live eternally with you. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Shall we pray? Dear Father in heaven, again, we come before your throne and we ask that you bless us as we partake of this fruit of the vine which represents your son's blood. Help us to never forget that your son shed his precious blood to wash our souls to where they're white as snow in your sight. We thank you so much, Father, for the fact that your son was willing to suffer and die, be raised from the dead. We're very, very sorry that it was because of our sins that he, he needed to die. And again, we know that he did this for us and not for himself. We thank you, Father, for his love and for your love and especially for the spiritual blessings that we enjoy through your son, Jesus Christ. And as we partake, again, may we do so in a manner that you find acceptable and well-pleasing. These things we ask again in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. Today, the Bible asks us or commands us to give back to the Lord a portion of the material blessings that uh, he's bestowed upon us. And it's important to remember that everything you have, you have because of, of God. 
everything you have, your house, your car, your money, your beating heart, your eyes that blink, every breath you take becomes is there because of God. You're not, the earth you stand on is there. Everything is there because of God and is because of his love for all of humanity. So at this time, when we give back, please do so cheerfully, do so with a happy heart and a grateful heart. And just remember that it's, it's not yours, it's his. It all comes from him. Let us pray together. Fathers, we come together again before your throne. We ask that you help us to remember where our blessings come from, our material blessings, and especially our spiritual blessings. As we give back to you, may we do so with a thankful heart and a cheerful heart. And may we be ever mindful that you are so generous and so loving. And we thank you so much, Father, for everything that you do for us every day. As we go through this week, please guard, guide, and protect us. Help us to act and behave like your son would if he still walked the earth as a mortal human being. Help us to be ever thankful, ever optimistic. We have so much to be thankful and optimistic for. And these things we ask humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's time for the BLAST program. If you're involved in that, you may be dismissed at this time. And if everyone would stand with me, we'll sing before Bill's lesson, Blessed Assurance.
Without raising your hands, how many of you know what is in the first blank on your outline? If you're a fan of the movies A Star is Born, and you've seen the most recent one um, with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, then um, you know the answer there. Um, Of course, Judy Judy Garland, whom Joyce and I love, uh, was in, I believe it was the first one or the first remake, and then the second one was... um, Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. But in the most recent one from 2018, um, one of the uh, very significant songs from that show was this one. We're far from the shallows now. As we began this series of lessons from the book of Job, that song has uh, come to mind uh, several times for me, in that statement, we're far from the shallows now. Last week, we began this study looking at Job chapters 1 and 2, where God and Satan, the adversary, actually go toe-to-toe over Job. And if you didn't get a chance to be here and to hear that, or you haven't watched it online, then I urge you to do that. Uh, because in, that, in those two chapters, Satan, the adversary, the devil, actually gives the theme statement of the book of Job. And it's in question form, and that is, does Job serve God for nothing? The question of the book is, will a person serve God if there's nothing in it for them? At the beginning, God compliments Job to Satan, and he says, you know, there's nobody like him in all the earth. And Satan says, well, of course, you've given him everything in the world he could possibly want. You take those things from him, And he'll curse you to your face. And so God says, okay. But he puts a limit and he says, you can't touch him physically. You do everything else. And so he does. Takes away his wealth. uh, Takes away his children. Takes away his reputation. And it's one of those bang, 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 bang things that happen. His wife tells him, curse God and die. And, and, and. The second time around, he hangs in there. And the second time around, God puts another limit on Satan. And he says, okay, you can touch him. Because Satan has said, hey, if you hurt him, he will curse you to your face. And God says, okay, you can hurt him, but you can't kill him. Something that Job is going to cry out for God to actually do in the midst of his suffering. And God himself had put the limit there and said, nope, that's not going to happen. And so then we see all of these other things going on, and we understand, you know, we've all, all heard all along of the suffering of Job. It's talked about in Scripture and other places. His patience, and I think he was patient. At the end, he is commended by the Lord, but at the end, he also repents in dust and ashes, realizing somewhere in there he went too far. But as he's reflecting on all of that, uh, his friends come to see him. In his suffering, Job is joined by three friends. And that's in chapter 2. And they come and they're so struck by his suffering that they just sit in silence. Which actually, as we'll find out next week, was the best thing they did. If only they had stopped there. When they open their mouths, they say all the wrong things. And that'll be next week's lesson. 
But imagine going to a friend to comfort them, knowing that they're hurting, knowing that they're suffering, that they've had great loss. And you see them and they say things like this. May my birth date perish. Strike it off the calendar. That day may it be turned to darkness. Why did I not die at birth? Why was I not stillborn? Why did my mother not miscarry me? Why is life given to a person whose way is hidden? Whom God has hedged in. Satan had accused God of hedging Job in in protection. Now when Job loses everything except his very life. He says obviously God has hedged me in for punishment and for hurt. What would you do if you went to a friend and those were some of the things that you heard? What would you tend to do? Maybe uh, offer to take them to a counselor or a therapist. Maybe say, you need to talk to a doctor. Perhaps you need to be on medication. Something. And it may be that sometimes those things are very important. I believe in all of those things, actually, very strongly. Would you try to defend God? No, no, no. You can't say that about God. Because that's what his friends do. The best thing Job's friends bring is their silent presence. And after they sit in silence for a while, then Job speaks. And Job lashes out, venting his anguish and pain in Job chapter 3. And the very best way for me to communicate how deeply he hurt and how without restraint is his venting, world-class venting, is to read Job chapter 3. And it may very well be that perhaps as we read this, you think, I get it. I get it. I have felt exactly the same way at times. Perhaps some may be experiencing such great hurt and suffering and anxiety and fear that you feel that way today. And if that's the case, then Job verbalizes how you feel and gives you permission to verbalize that yourself. Job chapter 3, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish, and the night that said, a boy is conceived. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan, may its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. Verse 11, why did I not perish at birth 
and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest. With kings and rulers of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins. With princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Verse 16, or why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from turmoil, and there the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave driver shout. The small and the great are there, talking about the grave. And the slaves are freed from their owners. Verse 20, why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul, to those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave? Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared, verse 25, has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, only turmoil. And then you say, what to your friend? We'll say it late, uh, a little bit later in the message, but as I read these words, as I hear that pain and suffering, we can see it from two perspectives. One is the perspective of Job the sufferer, and the other is the perspective of his friends, the helpers, because likely we have been in both situations. Job lashes out, venting his anguish and pain, even saying, what I feared has come upon me. And so we think back to those first couple of chapters before everything he had was taken away. And what he's saying is, I was always afraid that something like this would happen. I was afraid that all of these blessings would one day be gone. Is it okay? For Job to say these things. Is it okay for us to say these things? When that's how we really truly feel. Is it okay for us to hear these things? And not jump in to defend God. Not jump in to say, no, 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 you can't say that. Not jump in and say, no, no, you're, hurt, you, you're not hurting as deeply as you think. Job 3 is not the only place where something like this happens. We read about it in many of the Psalms, as you know. And some of them are written on your outline. Psalm 13 begins with this cry from the psalmist, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? (laughs) Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever talked with someone who felt like that? Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you heard that statement before? That painful, hurting, deserted question that Jesus cries out from the cross 
is the first statement from Psalm 22 because the psalmist was feeling that way, and that's how Jesus felt, deserted and forsaken by the Father who could save him but didn't. Psalm 42 is another psalm, and in that psalm, the the psalmist says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Put your hope in God. And it's like the psalmist, in the midst of all his pain and suffering, is trying to talk himself out of it. (laughs) And in that psalm is this great statement, Deep calls out to deep. We're far from the shallows now. When you're reading the book of Job, if you read it honestly... You're far from the shallows. When you are experiencing the kind of pain and loss and hurt and loneliness and confusion that Job is feeling here, you are far from the shallows. And what happens in that moment is deep cries out for deep. You need someone somewhere that will not pretend we're in the kiddie pool, but will realize we're in the deep end and we're drowning. And not pretend that it's not that way. And when we're in the midst of that, we don't need to pretend either. We need to find someone, somewhere, including God, and perhaps one or two or three trusted friends who will let us say these things that we feel and not think less of us. And not try to talk us out of that, but to talk us through it. Psalm 137 is one of those psalms in exile. Some of our Bible classes are looking at Ezra and Nehemiah this month. And and in the midst of that exile, before that King Cyrus rule that allowed everybody to go back if they wanted to, Psalm 137, the psalmist writes, we were in Babylon, we were in a foreign country in exile, and our captor said, hey, sing us one of those happy peppy songs of Zion. Sing, we're marching to Zion. We love that one. And the psalmist responds and says, how can we sing such joyful songs when we're in the midst of such pain? The whole book of Lamentations is a cry out to God. It's a lament that doesn't hold any punches back. If you want some hard reading, read the book of Lamentations. In the midst of that is that window of joy and hope. But for almost the whole book, it's a crying out to God about the pain and suffering that his people are experiencing. Job does the same. Job lashes out, venting his anguish, and his pain. So is there value in doing that? Is there value in expressing sincere, honest questions and complaints? Let me tell you that undeniably, absolutely, I believe the answer is yes. Yes. There is great value in doing exactly that. If that's what you're experiencing... And if that's how you feel, yes, there is absolute value in lashing out like that, in venting like that, in reading Job chapter 3 as if you yourself are saying those things. 
Expressing them to a troubled friend, is there value in that? To a trusted friend, I mean, is there value in that? Yes, yes. Expressing them to God, is there value in that? Yes, absolutely. That's what Job does. And over the next few weeks after this coming Sunday, we're going to hear some of the things that Job has to say in those very difficult speeches that he gives that I believe are the real power of the book of Job, starting with this one in Job chapter 3. We think ahead to chapter 42, and whenever we study the book of Job, that's kind of what we want to do, right? Read chapters 1 and 2 and get the setting and the whole God versus Satan over Job thing. And then fast forward to chapter 42, where God comes to him and affirms him and restores not the people that he lost or the things that he lost, but gives him more children, restores his reputation. But here's the thing. Job has to go through chapter 3 and his speeches that follow to get to chapter 42. You can't go from here to there without it. You can push it back. You can deny it. You can pretend that it doesn't exist. But you must sometime face it if you are going to be healthy. And perhaps for Job to do that was God's purpose all along. And perhaps it's his purpose for you. Is there value in expressing that sincere, honest question and complaint? Yes. If that's how you really feel, God knows that already. Why not verbalize it to him? As I said earlier, Job's world-class venting speaks to us in two aspects, the sufferer and the helper. And I think both are tremendous in this. It's kind of like uh, the prodigal son parable that Jesus says in Luke 15, where you have a younger brother and an older brother, and the younger brother goes away into the far country and repents and comes back. And Jesus tells that parable so that those who are the younger brothers in the audience will realize, well, God will accept me back. But that's not the only lost son. As Tucker has shared, the, the, the older brother was also lost, even though he was right there. And Jesus speaks to him through this and says, you too need to repent and you need to be joyful and glad that your brother is home and safe. Well, in the same way, we see two perspectives here in this one, the helper and the sufferer. The sufferer is the one who's going through all of this. That's Job. And that may be you. Or it may be that that's not you today. But you know someone who is. Do they have permission from you to be honest about how they feel? Can they share their, not just lack of understanding, but absolute fury with God for what they're going through? Can they share that with you? Because that's what Job tries to do with his friends.
when we are suffering, we need to be able to read Job chapter 3 and read it from the heart. And when we know someone who is in that deep of a valley, deep calls out for deep. Will we be that person that can go there and can put our arms around them and can cry with them if needed and can hurt with them if needed and, and will not, even though every cell in our body wants to jump in and say, you shouldn't say that, or jump in and say, you know that God doesn't believe that. All of those things might be true, but that's likely not the time because you can't get to chapter 42 until you get to chapter 3. And if we have no opportunity to vent, if our friends have no opportunity to lash out with someone about the injustice that they're going through, then they may never get to chapter 42. So some lessons. Number one, acknowledge the reality of the situation. Don't deny it. Don't, don't deny it. <laughs> don't pretend that it's not there. That's what Job's friends do. They come along and they pretend like Job isn't hurting, like he hasn't experienced loss, like this doesn't match with their theology that the righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. And here is Job, a righteous person, suffering, and he doesn't get it. And his friends come in and say, well, it's not all that bad. Or, well, you know, you are a really sinful man, Job, and that's why this all... So what do you say, Bill? Well, I think when you hear something like this and you're seeing that loss and you're seeing that emotion and you're seeing that hurt and you're hearing them verbalize that and they end with looking you in tear-filled eyes and saying, why does God let this happen? I think at that moment you can answer truthfully, sincerely, and honestly, and say what? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me either. I don't know why God wouldn't save your marriage. I don't know why God would cause you to lose your job. I don't know why the doctor would come back with news that it's malignant. I don't, I don't know. And at that moment, that may be all you have to say. We don't want them to stay there. But if we don't join them there, they will never be able to move on. And they'll look for that deep somewhere else. Acknowledge the reality of the situation. Don't deny it. Number two, God is big enough to handle our questions. You don't have to defend God. (laughs) He can do a great job of that himself. He's just fine with that. The amazing thing in reading the Gospels and reading how Jesus interacted with the Jewish leaders and with others, he hardly ever defended himself. Even on the cross, when they were jeering at him, when he could have called the legions of angels, when he could have come down from the cross and everyone would have believed him, he didn't do it. Why? Because he didn't have to win the argument. He knew the truth, and he was there to join us in our suffering. And as Bill shared, to give his life for us and our sins. 
God affirms the honest struggler. Number three, for growth to occur, our church environment must allow, even encourage, the honest struggler to raise his or her questions. Is this a place where Job would be welcomed and helped? Or is this a place where Job would be judged and condemned? Our church needs to be a place, an environment, a community where people who are struggling can come and not feel like they have to hide their struggles, but to find someone that will get out of the shallows and go deep with them. Finally, number four, in the world we'll have trouble. In Jesus, we can have peace. Just as Bill shared at the end of his communion thoughts today, that's why we have hope. That's why we have joy. That's why we have optimism. Because in Jesus, we can have peace. doesn't mean we deny all of the difficulties. It doesn't mean that at all. It means we face them head on because we have Jesus. And sometime, someday, some way, that person that we're talking to needs to move through that time of anger at, at God. And sometime, some way, we may be in that place where we need to move past that stage as well, but that doesn't happen right away. Are we okay with walking through that valley with them? Are we okay with going into the deep with them? Do they know there's someone that is joining them in their suffering? Faith is the victory. Not knowing, although knowing is important. Not even seeing. We live by faith, not by sight. Faith is the victory. We have that peace and it comes only through Jesus. We can rejoice, but only through Jesus. As Paul says in Philippians 4, as those wonderful girls on the Oklahoma University softball team shared, the national champions of, I think, a few years running, when asked how they kept the joy and love of the game in them, those brave, courageous, wonderful girls said to a national audience, well, it's, it's because I have Jesus in my life. Because... Softball games, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Championships kind of come and go. Circumstances are going to change. But in all of them, I can have that joy because my joy doesn't come from winning championships. My joy comes from the Lord. Where does your joy come from today? Circumstances are going to rise and fall, come and go, be good and bad. That's true for us, that's true for our family, it's true for our friends. Will we be there for each other with the peace and the joy that comes from knowing Christ? This morning, if you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ, you can do that today. Acknowledging your faith by confessing your sins, turning away from that sinful path, that's repentance. And being buried with Christ through baptism into death so that you too can rise to live a new life. Are you far from the shallows now?
You can have that peace that only Jesus can give, a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that is not dependent on circumstances. Tis so sweet. Not to have everything that Job had at first. That's nice, but it can go away. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. If we can help you do that today, come as we stand and sing this great hymn. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to rest upon His promise, just to Father, we thank you for this beautiful day, and Lord, we thank you for everyone that's here and all the precious souls that we have here, and for our children that's here and our loved ones and our grandparents. Lord, we thank you for Bill's lesson, for the words that he brought to us today. Lord, we pray that you'd bless everyone here and We know there's a lot of people here today that 
maybe has hardships or has prayers that they're lifting up to you, we pray that they'll be answered. We know we have a lot of people that's not here, our loved ones and our kids that are gone to camp. We pray that everyone will have a joyous summer and be very safe. We pray for our loved ones that are in the military and the first responders that take care of us, take care of our family members. Lord, we pray that you be with the leaders of this world and of this country, Lord, and we pray that they'd be more Christ-like and start thinking about their life after this life on earth and start doing things that are scriptural instead of falling away from your word. Lord, be with us now as we leave here today. God, guard, direct us in everything we say and do. Forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.